0: All right, church, good morning. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 28. That's where we're going to be this morning. 1 Samuel 28, we're going to read the whole chapter this morning. It says that in those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. And in verse 3, now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel. And they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went and he and two men with him and they came to the woman by night and he said, divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, surely you know that Saul has done how he has cut off. Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said, to Saul I see a god coming out of the earth he said to her what is his appearance and she said an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe and Saul knew that it was Samuel and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage then Samuel said to Saul why have you disturbed me by bringing me up Saul answered i am in great distress for the philistines are warring against me and god has turned away from me and answers me no more either by prophets or by dreams Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give you the army. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear and because of the words and because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him before, before he had eaten nothing all day. Before, he hadn't eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servant, together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it. And she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it. And she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and they went away that night. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right, so what we're going to do here is we're going to basically start in verse 3, and we're going to kind of go through the passage Uh, Verses 1 through 2 are really connected to next week. Uh, We see uh, David now teaming up with the Philistines and uh, he's setting out to go to war against Israel. We talked about him last week, how his bad decisions have led him to another bad place. And uh, this is the fruit of those decisions. Now he's having to fight against his own country and he's going to have to choose whether or not he's what what he's going to do. Or if you read on, you'll see that the Lord intervenes. But uh, verses 1 and 2, uh, we're, we're not going to really tackle that today. Our focus is from verse 3 on. And before I start there, I, I want to talk about the topic of sin because that's, what's, uh, that's the theme that's running through this chapter here from verse 3 on. Uh, there are some truths about sin that we must all know as Christians. Number one, the Bible says that all have sinned. Right. So we know the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's a pretty common verse that we all know from, you know, growing up in church. But the Bible also says that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned. And the Bible says everyone has to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Uh, So that is a biblical truth that we have all sinned. But to go even further, we all sinned continue to sin. Uh, so it's not only the, the past tense, but it's a present tense as well, that we all sin even today, even as redeemed children of God. The Bible says that the sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. I don't know if you caught that or not, but either sins go before us and we are found out ahead of time or we're found out later. But one way or another, there is certainty that we all sin. And that is why we all need Christ. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those are foundational beliefs that every Christian should have concerning sin or the doctrine of sin. Uh, we, We must recognize that we have sin. We have original sin. We are born in sin. Through Adam and Eve and, what they, and their disobedience. We must also understand that we sin today. And then we also must understand because of our sin, we need Christ. We need uh, the redemption of his blood to save us from the penalty of our sin. Uh, sin is not something that we should take lightly. And why? Well, because that's, God commands us not to take it lightly. But we also see that God does not take it lightly. God hated sin so much that he gave his one and only son to free us from its bondage. That's how much God hates sin. That's how seriously God takes sin. I think if we see that, we should take it as serious. Why? Well, because sin can wreck a life easily and quickly. I think we all know that. That's why we're here. Amen? At some point in our past, sin has wrecked our lives. And for us who are in Christ, that has brought us to the foot of the cross. But even after that, we have done this dance with sin. We have made it our friend and it has wrecked our lives again. And yet we come back to the foot of the cross. Well, as we look at King Saul, he's a reminder of that. How sin can wreck a life easily and quickly. When we look at the life of Saul, his was a life of potential. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but I thought this was interesting. I heard someone say that this, that's the worst label anybody can put on anybody else. That they, they have potential. right? Because potential is just what they could be, but what they become is something completely different. So Saul had this potential. The first king of Israel. He could have been, I think I said it before in one of our sermons in this book, but to the Israelites he could have been Moses. Because they consider him the greatest prophet. But he could have been Moses. That's how much potential he had. But the way things turned out, he never came close to the man he could have been for the Lord. So considering sin and how effective And damaging it could be, or effective in damaging it could be towards your life, I want to ask these following questions. And I want you to think about them as I preach this sermon. Uh, First of all, what kind of havoc is sin causing in your life today? We know that sin has consequences, so what is it doing in your life today? Uh, Secondly, what should your response be to this sin? In other words, what should you do and not? do in response to the sin that you are committing? And then thirdly, what can you expect going forward if you continue in this sin? Those are the three questions that, I, 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 that, that I'm going to answer today. I don't want to say I hope to answer. I have them prepared that I will answer those questions. So that is my goal to answer those questions today through a careful study of our passage. Let me repeat them again, just in case you're taking notes and you want to get them what kind of havoc is sin causing in your life today? What should be your response to sin? What should you do and not do? And then thirdly, what can you expect going forward if you continue in sin? So the way I want to do this is I want to um, look and talk about the fruit of sin. Uh, the title of the sermon is The Fruit of Wickedness, but uh, we, can, we can put in parentheses or we can replace wickedness with sin. Uh, sin has fruit to it. And it's damaging fruit. It's ugly fruit. It's gross fruit. It's not like the fruit of the spirit. And the first thing that we see with sin, especially in this passage, is that there is distress that comes with sin. So let's talk about the distress of sin. Now, the one in distress in this passage is Saul. That's very clear to see. Uh, We could even say David is in distress, but it doesn't go into enough detail for us to be able to pick that apart right now. But in chapter 28, there's a lot of information about Saul. Saul is the one in distress, and there's good reason for it. First of all, the Philistines are attacking, and, and that has caused him to have anxiety beyond belief. So they're attacking Israel. Now, this is taking place in, like in the, nord- this, the, the northern part of the kingdom, and Saul is trying to cut them off because they're trying to come from the north all the way through the south. So he's far from home. He's at the northern end of the kingdom and he's trying to defend the entrance. He's trying to defend uh, the Philistines from coming in and wreaking havoc on the land. And the problem is, is when Saul sees the Philistines and he sees their number, he sees their forces, He his heart just fails within him. Well, all these years we talked about eight, nine years now, Saul's been chasing after David. He hasn't been focused on his own army. He's been focused on hunting down David. You see him routinely take him and 3,000 men and they go and the, the, his chosen his chosen best uh, soldiers that he has, they go and they hunt David down, not for months at a time, but for years at a time. And it this goes on and on and on and on. It's just this cycle. He's just He's, he's ate up with it. He wants to catch David and he wants to kill him. Beforehand, we you, if you go back and you read the beginning chapters of 1 Samuel, you'll see Saul routinely, the Bible says that he routinely grabbed young, strong men and put them in the army. and And, and his army was big and it was huge and it was strong. Well, he's so busy chasing after David for unjust reasons that his army is just... It doesn't grow. At least it doesn't grow at the rate that the Philistine army grows. And he sees the Philistines and he's like, we're outnumbered. We're outpowered. They're going to destroy us. And he becomes fearful. It's almost as if it's the same Saul with Goliath, that how, how he, he trembled and he shaked and he was fearful when Goliath came out, along with all the other soldiers. It should have been him who killed Goliath, but he was afraid. Well, this Saul is back. He's he's afraid and he has every right to be. Secondly, uh, the the next thing causing him distress is that Samuel is now dead. It says that in our passage. It repeats that because we've already talked about the death of Samuel. But here it wants us to know, yes, Samuel is dead. And that's very important. Why is that important? Well, because he was God's representative to Saul. And so now Saul does not have his mind. He does not have Samuel's sword. It's pretty cool that Samuel was not only a priest, not only a prophet, but he was a warrior too. He doesn't have his sword, and then also he doesn't have his prayers. He doesn't have those things anymore. Samuel's dead. He's gone. He's not going to save Israel. Or God's not going to save Israel through Samuel. And David knows that, and that's causing distress in his life. Second or thirdly, David's gone. Remember the guy he's been chasing? Well, David was his greatest warrior, especially against the Philistines. Philistines hated David because he continually defeated them. So he was, Samuel, he was Saul's greatest weapon and his greatest warrior. And now he's with the Philistines. Fourth, the Lord has turned from Saul. Samuel's prayer, or his prophecy, actually, in uh, 1 Samuel 15, I believe, it's, it's finally come true. When Samuel warned, David, or warned Saul that the kingdom would be torn from him and given to another, it's, it's, it's here. And Saul realizes, maybe he's known this all along, but he's never wanted to face up to it. The Lord's not with me. He's against me. He's against me. So we have those four things that are causing distress See, the fact that the Lord has turned away from Saul, that's the most troubling thing. Bible says in verse six, when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. When the Lord turns from somebody, it's the worst thing that could ever happen. You might think something horrible has happened to you in this lifetime, but there's no comparison to that. And now we see the Lord turning from Saul. And Saul tries to reach out to him in many different ways. It's not like he just tried once and then said forget about it. He's desperate. He tries to reach out to him in dreams. Now I thought what was very interesting is that uh, back then in the Old Testament it it was customary for the person who wanted to hear from the Lord in a dream to sleep with a sacred temple item. So Something that was sacred within the temple. They would sleep with it by their head. They would go to sleep and then uh, hopefully they would have this prophetic dream. That's kind of what we could see Saul doing. He'd get this relic from the temple, place it by his head, go to sleep, and hoping that the Lord will speak to him and give him an answer of what he should do against the Philistines. But there was no dream. The Lord did not answer. Secondly, there's the Urim, the Bible says. Well, that went along with the ephod. The Urim and the Tummim, well, those were with the high priest. And guess who the high priest? He was with David. So he, he apparently Saul got a hold of some ephod, but it wasn't the ephod. It wasn't the one that was with the high priest. So whatever Saul tried to do, the Lord didn't answer him there. And then the prophets. Well, the main prophet, the prophet who had been speaking to Israel was Gad. And he was also with David. So these prophets that Saul went to go and and, and try to hear from the Lord, no answer. So with no answer from the Lord, Saul cries out. And we see that cry in verse 15. He says, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more. Now, Saul's troubles... Stem from the Lord turning away from him, and since the Lord has departed from Saul, so have all his blessings. And that's what I mean about that's the worst thing that could happen to you. We don't realize the blessings that we have from the Lord until they're taken away from us many times. And when He turns from us, it's 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 beyond what we can bear ourselves. And so Saul's in great distress. Well. Why is he in distress? Why has the Lord turned from him? Well, Saul's sin is the reason for the Lord turning his back on Saul. But wait a second. God doesn't do that. He's a loving God, right? That's what we hear all the time. That's what the world says. No, that's the Old Testament God. The New Testament God wouldn't do anything like that. God is the same. Old and new. Doesn't change like us. He is holy. Holy. What he has said he will do this. This this shouldn't be a shock to Saul and it certainly shouldn't be a shock to us that the Lord is doing this because in chapter 15, he said he would do this. He's fulfilling his word. And when he fulfills his word, it looks ugly. Well, sin is ugly. It's, it's difficult to see because I don't know about you, but I, I, I kind of just feel sorry for Saul. Because it, it wouldn't be right for me to look at Saul and say, oh, you deserve everything you get. Because I have to look at myself in the mirror and I have to say the same thing. And I sit there and I just watch Saul's life fall apart. And yeah, he's seen it coming and, and he's, he's done some evil things. And yet, I sit there and I see myself in Saul. And I pray, Lord, please help me. Please forgive me. It's only by your spirit, by your mercy, that I stand today. So it's it's tough seeing this happen. But yet, God is holy. And he will do what he said he will do. Saul has been continually rebellious rebellious against the Lord. He's been jealous of David, and he's even murdered a a city of priests, the priests of God. He's done so many more things other than that. just reminds us that when we sin, it causes a separation between us and the Lord. Listen to this from Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that he cannot hear. For your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. I think that's important for us to understand that that's what sin does to us. It separates us from the Lord. If it were not for Christ, we would be severed from God. And even today with Christ, when we sin, it builds up this wall that we ourselves, we cannot see God. We cannot hear God. We cannot feel God. Thank God that he has not left because he has promised to us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. But yet on our end, it feels as if he has. When we live in sin, when we consistently walk in the sin that we have, the Bible says we grieve the Holy Spirit so that we do not hear, so that we do not see, so that we do not feel the presence of God in our lives. We have all been there. We have all been there. We're, we're, we're praying to God and we just, please, show me Show me something. Or we're praying, please help me understand what I'm going through. Let me feel your presence. We have to, when we're going through that in our lives, the first thing we need to look at is what sin we are committing. Because sin has a way of building that wall. Much like Saul. Our own distresses have been our own doing. We are guilty before the Lord in one way or another. So let me go back to that question. What havoc is sin causing in your life today? Look at your life and what's going on. What role has your sin played in your current struggles See, the further that we hide in our sin, the further that we go into our sin, the deeper and more complex the consequences become. James 1.15 says, desire when it has conceived uh, gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. Now, think about your sins or excuse me, think about your struggles. Think about your brokenness. Think about your loss. Think about your poverty. Think about your pain. Think about your sickness. Think about all those things. Now, we have to understand that all these things are curses of sin. And and some, some of what you're going through falls back directly on you. Now, does it all? No, of course not. There are things that happen to us for other reasons that we cannot either explain, for other reasons that we don't know of. But if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of what we're going through is because of us. It's because of our own sin. Now, one thing I don't want you to do is I don't want you to think about the sins of others as excuses for your own sins, because that's what we tend to do. We tend to say, well, if, if, if she would only listen to me or if he would only do what I said, then I wouldn't act like this. Or if they, if they would only do what they need to do, then I would do what I need to do. And we could go on and on trying to justify our sin. But the main thing is this. When we look at ourselves and we don't make any excuses and we don't look at anybody else, we're just looking at ourselves. How have you personally been responsible for your own sins? And how are these sins causing distress in your life? That's the main point I want you to get. I don't want you to walk out of here thinking that everything is because you have personally sinned against God. I can tell you that everything is due to sin. And I can tell you that you, have, you, you are responsible for a lot of the distress in your own life. And that's what we have to evaluate. That's what we have to look to. That's where we have to say, Lord, search my heart, oh God. Purge me of these iniquities. Make them known to me so that I may repent. So that I may seek you out of this. Yes, distress is a fruit of sin. And it's a good indicator for us as we live our lives. The next fruit is the fruit of deception. When we look at this story, we see that instead of faith and repentance, Saul gave himself over to further sin. Well, when he didn't hear from God, he sought out mediums and necromancers. Well, both of these are the same thing. There are people who gain information from dead spirits. They're, they're, they, they are looking to be able to tell the future through these dead spirits. Well, these dead spirits are, they're demons that they're hearing from. Now, this was a direct violation of the Mosaic law. Going back to uh, the law, it says, Therefore, or, there shall not be found among you anyone who practice divination or tells fortunes, or interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or a charmer, or a medium, or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. That's Deuteronomy 18, verses 10 through 12. Now we need to understand that the word abomination, it goes back to something that is detestable, something that is repulsive to God. So to do a sin like this is detestable, is repulsive. Instead of seeking after God, Saul sought the help of the devil. So God wasn't helping him, he thought. God wasn't answering his prayers. So this is how selfish he had become. Instead of just waiting on the Lord, he's like, no, I'm going to go to the other side. I'm not getting the help I need here So I'm just going to go to the the other side, the dark side, and get the help that I need from there. That's how far and deep his his sin had become. Now, in the New Testament, Paul tells the dangers of giving oneself over to sin. He speaks in Romans chapter 1, or writes in Romans chapter 1. He says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do aught, to do what ought not be done. Now, the word debased, it's worthless, or a despicable mind. You can put those two words together, the uh, abomination and debased, and it, it points to essentially the same thing. Someone who is not worried about the will and word of God. Now, when we evaluate the actions of Saul, that is exactly what is going on here. Look at verse eight. Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, and he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. Now, it's fitting that they went by night. Saul, yes, he's behind enemy lines, and that, that explains why he is changing his appearance but also he's committing sin under the cloak of darkness. Deception, right? That's the fruit of sin. Not only are we deceiving others, but sin is deceiving us as well. Saul calls on the medium. Now, let's get this. Saul leaves to go and call on the medium to use a demon spirit... To call upon Samuel so that he can get guidance from him. That's that's crazy stuff there. This is the anointed king of Israel. I'm not getting the answer I need. I'm going to go to the opposite side. And I'm going to actually use a demon. I'm going to tell the medium, call upon a spirit, call upon a demon and bring up Samuel. Saul also guarantees to protect the medium instead of prosecuting her. There's a reason why the passage talks about how Saul originally kicked kicked out all these mediums. And then we see him go back to them. It's Like all the mediums I kicked out, hey, find one so that I can go and I can inquire and hear what I need to do. See, Saul's purpose in seeking a spirit of divination is purely selfish. It's, at this point, it's all about him. See, when Saul's life was wrecked by sin, his response was to escape to the father of lies rather than the father of his life and his faith. As a Christian, we must understand that these responses should never be our own. Sin has affliction to it. What do I mean by that? Well, when when we sin, we are in distress. We are in distress because there is affliction going on. For the Christian, when we sin, God comes in and he disciplines us for our sins. Therefore, there is affliction. So we must expect affliction as a part of life. But that affliction should never have us seek the devil, and it should never have us abandon the savior of our souls. To address sin with sin, it's like receiving a large gash on your arm. And then you initially try to cover it with your hand and blood is just pouring out and you want to stop it. So then you just look around and you grab the dirtiest rag you can find. Maybe it's in the garage, maybe it's on the ground, and you grab that and you just put it on your arm and you just hold it there. And in fact, you don't just hold it there, you tie it around your arm and you just leave it there. That's what fighting or that's what fighting sin with sin kind of looks like. Saul is going to sin to take care of sin. And it just it just makes matters worse. Not only is a rag not adequate to stop the bleeding but you will certainly make the injury worse with infection. Christians, we must address sin, not with sin, our further sin. We must address sin with faith and repentance through the gospel. That's what our response to sin must be. As Christians, we must remember that the Affliction of sin has a purpose in the hands of a righteous God. This is further proof for me that as I continue to look at Saul's life, he he does not run to the Lord. He runs away from him. But you and I, whenever we suffer affliction, it is to humble us. God is exposing our sins so that we can humble ourselves before God. And he can lift us up at due time. That's the purpose of it. There shouldn't be pride that builds up in us. There shouldn't be, uh, it shouldn't lead us to the enemy or to seek things of the enemy. We must realize that we are sinners in need of a savior. And that's what it should do. Secondly, when we look at affliction of sin in the hands of a righteous God, it is to purge the, the believer from corruption. There's a reason. Affliction is around us when we sin, so that we do not continue to sin. As children, when we got spankings, it hurt, it was supposed to hurt. To teach us a lesson. Don't do that again. And some of us very hard headed, we needed reminders often. Some of us are that way with the Lord continue to do the things we want to do, he continues to discipline us. But listen, the purpose of his discipline is to purge out the corruption in us. To bring us back to him. That's the purpose. In no way is it for us to seek the enemy. His sheep hear his voice and they follow him. So, This affliction of sin is to purge the believer from corruption and draw him near to God. It is also to conform the believer to the image of Christ. The uh, affliction that we suffer from sin is just chiseling away at us. It's shaping us into the image of Christ and eventually and somehow divinely and awesomely, it increases our faith. As we go through what we need to go through, we come out the other side. We come out praising God for his glorious grace and mercy towards us. We must never try to fight sin with sin or cure sin with sin. That only makes things worse. And the thing is, is that we do that because we're trying to hide sin. That's what happens. When we're trying to use sin to cure sin, well, we're trying to bury sin. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to hide it so that no one finds out. We're trying to bury it, and and hopefully no one unearths it. But God sees the heart. And we make things worse. The best thing we can do is run to the foot of a cross and say, I have sinned against you, Lord. Forgive me. Restore me. Help me. Then the third fruit. That we see of sin. Is the consequence of it. Or the consequences of it. I think this is the height of Saul's sin here. He's completely away from the Lord. And has decided to yoke himself with the enemy. With the devil. Now from a spiritual perspective. He has completely and utterly been given over to his sin. And now his sin is in the driver's seat of his soul. His sin is in charge. He's in shackles to it. He's enslaved to it. And uh, he's, he's following his flesh. And it's here at this point that the Lord pronounces his judgment for the life that Saul has lived in the body. Now, Saul has been warned that this day would come. And yet, I don't know if he didn't believe it or he just refused to believe it. Just like Saul, we have all been warned that our day will come as well. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 10. For we, shall, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. Whether good or evil. Again, that was second Corinthians five, verse 10. There are plenty of passages in the Bible like this. We are told over and over and over. We will have to give an account for our sin. Now, many hear or read that passage and don't blink an eye. Like Saul, they continue in their sin until it gives birth to death. Now, Saul, he asked the medium to summon Samuel. When she summoned Samuel and recognized him, she cried out in a loud voice. Now, one thing that this passage is not for, and, and, and don't go in there seeking it for this. This is not about the afterlife. It, it really isn't. I, I could have preached a, a sermon about the afterlife here, but I would have had to leave this passage, go to other passages to give you a full picture of what the afterlife is like. That's not what this is for. This here. This story here, this, this passage here is to show us that God does what he said he will do. This passage here is to show us that God judges sin and that sin has consequences. That's the purpose of this passage, that we serve a righteous God who will not let sin go by. Now, what's awesome about this passage and this chapter is the way in which God does it so the lady sees Samuel and she recognizes Samuel then she realizes oh you're Saul and you kicked me out of Israel and now you're here for my life you're setting a trap for me so now you can take my life and Saul says no 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 don't worry about anything When we look at this, it seems as if the Lord had divinely appointed and orchestrated this event to happen the way it did. It doesn't seem like she's in charge. Because of her reaction. Evidently, this has never happened to her before. Because when she sees Samuel, what does she say? Oh, no, a God is coming from the earth. She's terrified. And this is something that she does often. So she's not in charge here. Guess who's in charge here? The Lord's in charge here. He's showing, he's giving Saul his answer, but he's doing it in a very extraordinary way. First, the Lord allowed Samuel to be seen by the medium and then by Saul. And we're, we're It just racks our brains because we're like, wait a second, that's against the rules, isn't it? The Lord can't do that. He he can't do that because I I don't know. I was just taught that he can't do that. But if we look in the Bible, he's done it. How about the Mount of Transfiguration? When the apostles were there back then, they were the disciples. They were there and Jesus, his, 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 he, he transformed and he had this glory about him. Well, who were with him? Who was there with him? Elijah and Moses. Isn't that the same thing here? For a different reason. And when the disciples saw it, they were like, oh, we're going to set up temples for all three of y'all. And that's when they got in trouble. But it was the same thing. It was the Lord calling them, showing them. They've been dead for years. Here, Samuel's been dead for maybe months. So in our minds, we're thinking, well, the Lord can't do this. And the Lord's laughing at us saying, I do what I want to do. I can certainly do this. Uh, it, It was very interesting studying this passage because the early church, a lot of them believed that this was not actual This is not Samuel, that this was either a demon or this was just like an illusion so that Saul could get this message. Because they couldn't get it through their minds of how Samuel could come back. They're like, wait a second, this this can't be right. So early on, theologians struggled with this passage. But as time goes on, as we continue to look at scripture, it's like, yeah, the Lord can completely do this. The rules are for us. You know what I'm saying? The rules are for us. The rules don't apply to the Lord. He is the maker of heaven and earth. And he calls Samuel. And, and so there is no, there's no reason why we shouldn't think this is not Samuel. He does this in an extraordinary way. He shows Samuel to them. The lady freaks out. She thinks it's a god. God. Then Saul says, well, describe him to me. I love her description. It's an old man. It's an old man coming out of the ground. Oh, nothing to fear there, huh? He's like, oh, that's Saul. Notice, it's an old man coming out of the ground. He's wearing a robe. Oh, that's Saul. There's something interesting about the robe that he has on that makes Saul realize, that's Samuel. It's just fascinating. Fascinating. But looking at this passage, secondly, when we we see that the Lord's in charge here and he's doing this, when the medium saw saw him, she described him as a God. Again, as if this was the first time this has ever happened to her before. She's completely shocked. This is out of her power, out of her control. And then third, Samuel, who originally spoke the prophecy against Saul, I think this is real interesting, It is now him who's come back from the dead in this appearance. He is God's vessel to give the final declaration of that prophecy. It's like, I've already told you this. Now I want you to remember what I've told you. Samuel said to Saul, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy. the Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. man let's just pause there think of how many people are going to hear that in the final day. There are people who go about their business doing whatever they want today they have no fear of the Lord and there, there's no fear of the Lord before them they They could care less. They don't think he's, that Christ is coming back. There's going to be no judgment. There is no God. And and just think about that. The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. That's what people are going to hear. Before they face the wrath of God. He goes on. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand. And given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. Listen, that's not comforting. We hear that and we're like, "Oh, Samuel's saying that Saul and his sons are going to be in paradise with him. Oh, no, that's not what's happening. He's telling Saul, "Tomorrow you will be dead." There's no promise of paradise here for Saul. You're going to be dead. The Lord will give the army of Israel also. Into the hand of the Philistines. Your kingdom is about to crumble, Saul. Everything you devoted your life to, all the idols that you served in your life, they're gonna come crumbling down, including you. It's time to pay up. Your sin has consequences. See, this whole time, Saul's been doing what seemed best to him without considering the commands of God. And when you look at it on paper in Scripture, he seemed invincible. Like no one could stop him. It seemed like he he could do whatever he wanted, he was the king of Israel. But yet, there is one who is greater. As we live our lives, let us live our life with that thought. You say, I I can do what I want. I don't have anyone to answer to. And, And if someone chooses to live their life that way, they can, if the Lord allows. They can do whatever they want. They'll have to deal with the consequences here on earth, but you can pretty much live life as if there is no God. Oh, but there is a reckoning. There is a final consequence. There is a day of judgment. As with Saul, now the consequences of his sins have come full circle. The proverb says Be assured, an evil person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. Proverbs 11:21 Yes, sin has consequences. That's why we need Christ. That's what it comes down to. See, we we it's easy for us to hear a sermon like this. If you're in the Lord, if you're in Christ, you're like, "Brother, I'm covered. I'm covered." But yet sin has consequences for you too. Yeah, you're covered, but remember the the separation. Remember the division that sin causes. Remember the pain, the suffering, the loss. Remember all that that sin causes. And remember the purpose of that affliction is to bring you back to Christ. Christ. Sin has consequences if you're in the Lord. Sin's a good indicator if you are in the Lord or not. And how you deal with the consequences of sin or or, or the, the distresses of sin, the affliction of sin. As I said before, the Christian runs back to his father. The unbeliever runs back to his father. One way or another, we go back to our father. Our father is either the father of life or the father of lies. We tend to find out through the affliction that we suffer. Do we respond in faith or do we respond in further sin? Those are all important things to think about. But as we leave for today, we must remember we need Christ. We must praise God for Christ. The one who is truly righteous died for those who were truly unrighteous. I, I love that song that we sang. It's my, favorite, it's my favorite praise song. Great is thy faithfulness. I I clung to that song as I was in the hospital listen to it that time after time after time and since then i've listened to it anytime i go through any kind of spiritual struggle it's a reminder to me that though i am not faithful to him he is always faithful to me and though there are times where i feel like i can't hear him i can't see him i can't feel him i go through these periods of woe is me where are you lord that song's always a reminder that he's He's right beside me and that I have to deal with some sin that I have in my life. So my brother and my sister, I pray to you or I say to you, what is it that is causing havoc in your life? What's sin? It's not far from your mind. It's, it's right there. Even though you've tried to bury it, you've tried to hide it. It's on your mind. It's in your heart. What do you need to do with it? Well, you need to repent. You need to come to the Lord. If it's a sin of pride, if it's a sin of lust. If it's a sin of greed. Go on and on and on. And you, you, you can continue to make excuses for the sin and say, well, if it weren't for these things then I would be OK. And the truth is, you would not be OK. Only answer for our sin is the cross. And the further we try to believe that there is some other answer, the the more we try to hide it and take care of it ourselves, the, the bigger hole we dig. Our response should be to run to the foot of the cross. Let us pray.